Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 66 of the show, and uh, we had a little impromptu week off last week. I wasn't able to get an episode going, but there's lots to get into this week. Uh, Just a really massive uh, episode for you, tons of information. We have an expanded uh, PGA Tour opening segment here. Uh, Of course, some NHL, some NBA standing updates. Those have changed quite a bit. And then, of course, men's college basketball were underway for the conference tournaments, and uh, we'll have uh, Selection Sunday coming up this weekend. So uh, lots of news to get into and around the island as well. Some big Major League Baseball news, uh, some major NFL news, uh, that kind of stuff. So just a loaded, loaded episode for you this week. We'll start it off like we usually do in the PGA Tour, and uh, we actually have two events to recap uh, as we had did not have an episode last week, a um, couple weekends ago was the Honda Classic, and that was at the PGA National Golf Course, the Champion Course. That's in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. It was a par seventy. Distance was seven thousand one hundred twenty-five yards. Okay, uh, this is the first of four events in Florida. All right, they they moved from their West Coast swing over in California, over to Florida here, and the Honda Classic was the leadoff event for the Florida swing the course itself is one of the tougher courses on tour that par 70 certainly doesn't help anybody out and then you factor in uh hole 15 through 17 on this course is known as the bear trap uh lots of water on those holes uh, last year the bear trap those three holes played uh, 230 strokes over par and since 2007 there have been 1600 balls that have been hit into the water well uh, a couple weekends ago at the Honda Classic this year, uh, there were uh, 1,308 bogeys in the Bear Trap, 232 double bogeys, and 33 triple bogeys or worse in that three-hole stretch there at the end. There were also 289 more golf balls hit into the water in the Bear Trap. So just a brutal stretch of holes. <clears throat> the field itself for this thing was was highly mediocre, only 12 of the top 50 golfers in the world were out there uh, at PGA National. Uh, the winning score last year was 12 under. Uh, w- you know, I, we've seen a lot of low scores. I didn't know, I didn't think we'd get um, past that this year or any lower than that, I should say. Um, and the cut line for this thing a couple weeks ago was actually plus two, which was the highest cut line we had seen in a 36 hole uh, cut in a non-major since the 2021 Memorial Tournament. So it had been a while since we've seen a cut line this high. Normally it's about two under par is kind of what we've been seeing just with these low scores. But uh, Daniel Berger came out uh, guns blazing in this thing. He had back-to-back 65s to sit at 10 under through two rounds. Uh, 
had a three-shot lead at the cut, uh, which tied the largest ever 36-hole lead. And then uh, after three rounds, the 54-hole lead belonged to Berger by five shots over Shane Lowry. So this was Daniel Berger's tournament to lose, uh, having a five-shot lead heading into Sunday. But then on Sunday, he did just that. Um, He lost this thing. He fell flat on his face, went four over through his first six holes, then played an even round the rest of the way. So to finish four over on Sunday, Shane Lowry had gone two over in that first six-hole stretch to stay up towards the top of the leaderboard for most of the tournament, but kind of had some bad weather at the end of this thing. The last few groups had to play in some pretty uh, heavy rains the last two holes, Uh, But in the end, Sepp Straka was your winner. He was able to get a birdie on 18 in the rain. It was his first career PGA Tour victory, uh, which has been a trend here lately. Uh, He was, um, if you recall, he he was the fourth golfer in the last five tournaments uh, at this point to uh, become a first-time victor, uh, first-time winner on tour. So, uh, and the only other guy that wasn't a first-time winner in those last five events was uh, Joaquin Neiman, who was his second career victory there at uh, the Genesis. So um, interesting stretch here. We've seen a lot of first-time winners. Sepp Straka was actually the first golfer representing Austria to win on tour as well. Now, the interesting thing about Straka's victory here at the Honda Classic was that he was five shots back of Daniel Berger at the start of the final round. Okay, so he was tied with Shane Lowry. They were five shots back. And that five-shot comeback in the final round was tied for the largest this season with Luke List, who did that at Torrey Pines uh, about a month ago, and he won his first career PGA Tour event in that fashion. So uh, it was a pretty pretty interesting tournament. Ten under pars, you know, one of the higher uh, scores that we've seen, winning scores we've seen uh, in a while, uh, and that has a lot to do with with the course itself. Uh, Shane Lowry finished second. So Sepp Straka won with 10 under. Uh, Shane Lowry was second, nine under. Uh, Kit, uh, Kurt Kitayama was third at eight under. And then Daniel Berger was fourth at seven under. So just that, that four over on Sunday was just absolutely brutal to watch. But we moved from the Honda Classic over to this past weekend's tournament, which was the Arnold Palmer Invitational and that was at the Bay Hill Country Club in Orlando, Florida. That was a par 72. Distance was 7,466 yards. Now, this tournament, uh, the course itself is mostly flat, all right? Uh, There's a lot of water uh, on some holes, making it fairly challenging, but uh, the the biggest factor in this is the, uh, the wind. And the past couple years, we've seen some very windy conditions resulting in much higher scores, uh, last year's final round scoring average was 75.49. Um, you know, a couple years ago in 2020 when Tyrell Hatton won, his winning score was four under, uh, which was the highest winning score uh, since 1983. As you'll see here in a minute, that trend continued again this year. Uh, this field was much better uh, this week. Uh, five of the top ten ranked golfers in the world were out there. Um Defending champion Bryson DeChambeau had planned on playing, but he had to withdraw due to an injury, so he was out. Um, But uh, I mentioned the scoring average. This year, the final round scoring average was 75.51, which was higher than last year, so it was the highest final round scoring average since 1981. And the field 
as a collective whole was 270 uh, over par uh, just on Sunday, final round. Just insane. Uh, in the end, Scotty Scheffler was your winner. Uh, he He's the recipient of the infamous red cardigan uh, and the trophy. And now, interesting thing about Scheffler, it was his second career PGA Tour victory. But Both of those victories have come in his last three starts. He also won the Waste Management Phoenix Open a few weeks back, and he became the second two-time winner on tour this season, joining Hideki Matsuyama. So very good stretch of golf here. Two wins in his last three starts. And, uh, you know, just playing some high-level golf, all right? And uh, Scheffler actually trailed by eight strokes at one point uh, on Saturday. Uh, so he was eight shots back, come, came back to win. Now, Scheffler's winning score was five under par, okay, which very high winning score, okay. This this course was brutal. Um, Scheffler shot even par 72 in his final round also um, to, to stay at five under. Uh, Tyrell Hatton and Victor Hovland both finished second, Oh, and Billy Horschel. They all tied for second at four under par. Just one shot back of Scheffler. Now, Hovland went two over on Sunday. He looked like he was in good shape to win. He was leading this thing most of the way, Victor Hovland was. But two over on Sunday. Billy Horschel went three over on Sunday. Uh, just an ugly round of golf. Gary Woodland and Chris Kirk finished at uh, T5, both at three under. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean... It was it was fun to watch these guys actually have to um, play their ass off in order to uh, contend. Normally, we're used to seeing them, you know, get around that twenty under par for a winning score. But this course was super challenging, and uh, Scotty Scheffler jumps up to number one in the FedEx Cup rankings as well. But uh, this weekend's tournament is one of the best. It is the Players Championship. That is at TPC Sawgrass in Pontevedra Beach, Florida. It's a par 72, distance 7,256 yards. Uh, this tournament is known as the fifth major. Um, it's the strongest field of the season. Actually, is the highest purse of the season as well. Uh, the winner of this thing gets more money uh, than the winner of a major gets. And uh, this year, we have 48 of the top 50 players in the official world golf rankings teeing it up, which is by far the most we've seen. The only two inside that top 50 that are not playing this week are Bryson DeChambeau and Harris English. Uh, But anybody you can think of is going to be out there. Uh, Of course, you have the iconic par 3 17th hole, the island green, Um, a lot of balls in the water on that hole. Uh, that can make or break a lot of rounds there. Uh, but this is actually the first players' championship since 1994 without either Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson uh, teeing it up. Of course, Tiger's still kind of been dealing with that injury. doesn't know when he'll quite make his return. Um, and then Phil Mickelson kind of got into some off-the-course dr- you know, drama with uh, that uh, Saudi Arabian uh, pro league that was potentially going to be forming up um, that he made some comments about the PGA tour. And so he's kind of been 
kind of been in his shell in the last few weeks. But nonetheless, this player's championship, uh, Justin Thomas is your defending champion, and uh, he's looking to become the first ever back-to-back winner. We've never had a back-to-back winner here at the Players. And uh, another interesting fact about this year's Players Championship is that we're going to have full fans in attendance. Okay, Last year it was limited, and then, of course, back in 2020, right after the pandemic started, they had played one round of this thing, and then the tournament got canceled. So uh, we will have 100% capacity there at TPC Sawgrass. It's, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. The Players' Championship is, again, like you want some high-level golf. This is a major championship. Uh, it just does not have the official major championship title, but uh, the the best of the best will be teeing it up out there this weekend, and uh, I know if you're a golf fan, you will certainly be tuned into that. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and do a standings update here in the NHL. Uh, it's Without the episode last week, it's essentially been two weeks since we've covered a standings update here in the NHL, and uh, we'll do a wild card standings update, which just gives you the top three teams in each division and the top two wild card spots. Those are your eight playoff spots, and then I'll give you a couple teams uh, that are in contention for the wild card spots. Starting off in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. Number one is the Carolina Hurricanes, all right? They have 83 points. Uh, They've won seven out of their last 10. They have a six-point lead on the New York Rangers, who are second with 77 points. The Rangers have won three games in a row. Uh, Their goaltender, Igor Shesterkin, became the fastest goalie in New York Rangers franchise history to 50 career wins doing it in only 79 games. That is very good. Uh, The Rangers have had some legendary goaltenders, Henrik Lundqvist and Mike Richter. Uh, Those guys both reached 50 wins in 91 and 96 games, respectively. So Shesterkin beat that uh, by uh, quite a few games. So he's certainly in the the, uh, conversation for the Vesna Trophy this year. Uh, Number three, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have 77 points as well, tied with the Rangers currently. Uh, Over in the Atlantic Division, the Florida Panthers have jumped back out in front of the Lightning uh, with 81 points. Uh, Panthers have won three games in a row. Those two teams are going to jockey for position the rest of the way. Tampa Bay Lightning, they're second with 80 points, although they've won eight out of their last ten, the Lightning have. And then third in the Atlantic is the Toronto Maple Leafs was 76 points. So they're four points back of Tampa, five back of Florida. Uh, I think those will be your three teams in the Atlantic when it's all said and done. Now, the Toronto Maple Leafs, a couple weekends ago, they had uh, beaten the Detroit Red Wings 10-7, to just a wild game. Uh, Mitch Marner, forward for the Maple Leafs, had a natural hat trick in that game, which was his first career NHL hat trick. He actually had four goals in that game, but it was his first career NHL hat trick, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, he scored lots of goals in the OHL uh, before he made it to the NHL, and so uh, for him to get his first career hat trick just seems like it took him maybe a little longer than it should have. Uh, but the two wild card teams in the Eastern Conference at the moment are the Boston Bruins with seventy three points and the Washington Capitals with sixty nine points. Uh, the there's only two. This is. The Eastern Conference is pretty much wrapped up. There's only two teams that 
can compete for a wild card spot at this point is the Columbus Blue Jackets with 59 points. They're 10 points back of Washington. And then the Detroit Red Wings with 54 points. They are 15 points back of Washington as it sits right now. Okay, those are the only two teams I had mentioned on the last episode that the New York Islanders possibly still had a chance. Uh, th- that's just not the case. Um, they're they're 19 back of Washington and um, 23 back of Boston. So the Islanders are pretty much out. They join the Devils, the Flyers, the Sabres, the Senators, and the Canadiens uh, as teams that will be eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, Montreal, though, they have won seven out of their last ten. They've gone on a heater since they hired Martin St. Louis to be their new head coach. And they, at this particular moment, they are not the uh, worst team in the NHL statistically. That is the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, But over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, the Colorado Avalanche, they are first in the West. They are first in the entire NHL by four points. They have 87 points, uh, 41 and 11. My goodness, the uh, Avalanche, they are just an absolute wagon. Uh, I don't see them losing uh, at all, really at all in the first couple rounds of the playoffs. I would expect Colorado to, uh, they're built to contend this year. So look out for Colorado. The St. Louis Blues, uh, they are second in the Central with 71 points. They're 16 points back of the Avalanche. The Avs pretty much have the Central wrapped up. St. Louis is second with 71 points. Now, third place is the Minnesota Wild. Okay, they are, uh, they got 67 points. So they're four points back of St. Louis. Um, But they have the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators are quickly on their heels. And uh, we'll get into them in just a second. Over in the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames are up top there with 75 points. They've won eight out of their last 10. The Los Angeles Kings are also, uh, they're second in the Pacific with 71 points, four points back of Calgary, but the Kings have won eight out of their last 10, including three in a row. Uh, Goaltender Jonathan Quick for the LA Kings, he joined Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price as the only three active goaltenders to reach 350 career wins. Now, Fleury has 508, Carey Price has 360 so Jonathan Quick, uh, he'll probably pass Carey Price here uh, in a couple of weeks, um, but uh, certainly not catching Flurry anytime soon. Uh, Jonathan Quick is also only the fourth U.S.-born goalie to reach that 350 career win mark, joining Ryan Miller, Tom Barrasso, and John Van Beesbrook in that category. Third in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights. They have 68 points. Uh, They are three points back of L.A. and seven points back of Calgary as we speak. Now, the wild card standings in the Western Conference, unlike the East, where there's only uh, two teams in contention, well, four teams really. you got your two wild card teams, and then uh, the East has two teams in contention. The Western Conference has the two wild card spots and then uh, essentially five other teams that are in contention. The two wild card holders at the moment are the Dallas Stars. They're uh, in the first wild card spot currently with 67 points. They've won four games in a row, seven out of their last 10. And, um, you know, I've been, you know, I told you they're my favorite team. Uh, they've 
I've been talking about them over the last month about how they're playing like shit. They're not a playoff team. You know, they go back and forth, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but the way that they've played over the last 15 games or so, I really do think that this is starting to become a playoff team. Uh, Jake Ottinger has uh, been a revelation in net, and uh, Jason Robertson has just been an absolute beast. Uh, he became the first player in Dallas Stars franchise history to record back-to-back hat tricks. He did so this week. He was named the NHL's first star of the week. And just been a ridiculous run for the Stars here. Uh, they were the first team in NHL history to follow a seven-game road losing streak with a six-game road winning streak. So, like I said, the Stars are very streaky, um, but they have seemed to put it together here. Um, they're 20-7 and seven on home ice, which is very important. Um, but we'll see how, how they can. they got a few big games coming up in this next week. Um including one against Nashville. So who the Predators are currently the second wild card with 66 points. Now I mentioned the Central Division. The Stars and Predators are both in the Central. Dallas has 67 points, which is tied with Minnesota, but uh, Minnesota has a game in hand currently. The Predators have 66 points, so they're just one point back of the Stars and the Wild. So that that second-third spot in the Central is going to be – tightly contested the rest of the way. Uh, the Predators, uh, they beat the San Jose Sharks 8 to nothing this past weekend, which was their largest shutout victory in franchise history. Uh, so uh, pretty impressive win there. Now the first team in the Western Conference that's out of a wild card spot at the moment is the Edmonton Oilers with 64 points. They're two back of Nashville, three back of Dallas. Um, they seem to have gotten things figured out with the new coach. Dreisaitl and McDavid keep doing their thing. Um, I certainly think they're going to compete. Uh, They're only four points back of Vegas for that third spot in the Pacific, so um, lots of hockey left to be played. Anaheim Ducks are after them with 63 points. Vancouver Canucks, they have 62 points, so they're all right there with Anaheim and Edmonton. Vancouver's won seven out of their last ten. There's been talk about them being a seller at the trade deadline coming up here in a couple weeks, but I just don't see that happening. Not with them. They're only four points out of a wild card spot at the moment. So I think the Canucks are going to hang on to who they got and uh, try and make the playoffs, which uh, with their start at the, the beginning of the season, for them to be even in this consideration is is um, is pretty impressive. The Winnipeg Jets have 58 points, and uh, they've not been playing real well as of late. And then the final team in the West that actually has a chance to make the playoffs would be the San Jose Sharks. They got 55 points. Okay, they, uh, they're they currently 11 points back of Nashville for that second wild card spot, but there's still uh, plenty of time left. And the three teams that uh, aren't making the playoffs in the West are the Chicago Blackhawks, the Seattle Kraken, and the Arizona Coyotes. Now, the Coyotes, uh, I mentioned they have – the Cana- Montreal Canadiens have overtaken them by one point at the moment. So the, the Coyotes technically with 36 points are the worst team in the league. Now uh, they did have an eight to five victory over the Ottawa Senators this past weekend. And in that game, Coyotes forward, Nick Schmaltz set a franchise record for the most points in a single game with seven. He had two goals and five assists. Okay. And uh, that seven points is franchise record for the Coyote. Very impressive game there for Nick Schmaltz. Um, 
but the Coyotes obviously are, are still in full rebuild mode. Now, uh, most of the teams, like I said, have, uh, they've, they've played about 56, 55 games or so, 55 to 58 games. All right. So we're just under that 30 games to go mark, about 26, 27, 28 games left. Now I came across this interesting stat this for this past uh, weekend. There were four high-profile players to all score on the same day. Okay, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Alex Ovechkin, and Patrick Kane. Okay, all four of them are former Hart Trophy winners, as league MVP, and Conn Smythe Trophy winners as playoff MVP, and they've all scored more than four hundred goals in their career. Well, this past weekend, they all scored on the same day, which was the fifth time ever that they have done that, okay? And first time this season. I thought, you know, it, it's crazy to think that only f- five times have those four guys all scored on the same day. I figured it would be much higher than that, given how many goals between all of them that they've scored. So um, pretty interesting stat there. I thought that was worth noting. But like I said, there's still quite a bit of hockey left to be played. Um, Eastern Conference, we pretty much know who the uh, eight playoff teams are going to be. It's just a matter of what order they're in. Western Conference is the opposite. There is still an absolute ton that can happen, lots of moving to do, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds here in this next week. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association, do a standings update here in the NBA. Uh, Believe it or not, it's been about three weeks since we've done a standings update here in basketball. Of course, we didn't have an episode last week, and the week before that, we had talked about the NBA's All-Star Game. So, uh, yeah, about three weeks since we've covered these standings. They've changed quite a bit. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat are still up top. Uh, they're 44-22. They've won three in a row, eight out of their last ten. They're three games clear of the number two seed Philadelphia 76ers, who are 40-24. and They've also won eight out of their last ten. Philadelphia, though, they got James Harden. Uh, he made his debut since the last time we covered the NBA standings updates, and Harden got uh, 27 points, 12 assists, and 8 rebounds in his team debut. Uh, he's also he's since had a couple other really good games, and it shows why he was acquired. Uh, the third seed in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks. They're 41-25. and 25. They're on a five-game winning streak right now, slowly creeping back, back up into the uh, – Top tier of the East. Number four seed, the Chicago Bulls. They're going the wrong way. They're 39-26. and 26. They've lost five in a row. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, though, he uh, had a stretch a couple weeks ago where he went eight games, eight straight games where he had 35 or more points. And he actually did so on 50% or better shooting, which he's only the first player or one of eight players in NBA history to uh, score 35 or more points in eight straight games. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, James Harden, uh, and now DeMar DeRozan are your eight players to do that. Uh, He had maybe kind of worked his way into an MVP conversation, but um, with the way that the Bulls have kind of been falling a little bit, I do not believe that is going to be the case. But 
Uh, the fifth seed in the East is the Boston Celtics, 39-27. and 27. They've won three in a row, eight out of their last ten. Jason Tatum continues to just ball out. Uh, he scored his, uh, recorded his fourth career 50-point game over this past weekend, which uh, tied Larry Bird for the most 50-point games in Celtics franchise history. So a little bit of uh, history there for Tatum. He's just an absolute monster. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are at the sixth seed at 38-27. and 27. Um, You know, they, they had kind of gotten up into that 4-5 slot for a bit, but they've um, kind of fallen back down a little bit. Um, they did get some bad news, though. All-star center Jared Allen uh, fractured his finger over the weekend. He's going to be sidelined indefinitely. So uh, who knows? There's no timetable on that, <clears throat> but that's a big blow. Uh, Darius Garland, uh, he's going to have to carry the load for them. Number seven in the Eastern Conference at the moment, the Toronto Raptors at 34-30. and 30. Uh, They have lost three in a row. Uh, the eighth seed is the Brooklyn Nets. They're 33-33. and 33. Uh, Just, they've only won four out of their last ten, the Nets have, but, you know, they still have Kyrie Irving for the road games. And uh, the other night, he became the third player in NBA history to score 50 points on fewer than 20 field goals attempted. So he actually had 19 field goals attempted and scored 50 points. Um, pretty. It just goes to show you that Kyrie still has it. Um, he's probably one of the, when he's healthy and playing, he's probably one of the top five or six players in the league. Certainly one of the top five shooters in the league. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets are the ninth seed at 32 and 34, and the Atlanta Hawks are the tenth seed at 31 and 33. Now, there's really only two teams in the East that can compete to get into that top ten. Remember, the top six in each conference get a playoff spot. Seeds seven through ten have a play-in tournament to determine who gets the official seventh and eighth seeds. So the top 10 teams are in playoff contention. The 11th seed right now in the East is the Washington Wizards at 29-34. and 34. All right, uh, so they're about a game and a half behind Atlanta. And then the New York Knicks are 27-38. and 38. They are four and a half games back of Atlanta. So those are Washington and New York are the only two teams that can realistically catch uh, Atlanta or Charlotte for those playoffs. I certainly think Brooklyn... Um, I just don't see how they would miss the play-in tournament. But um, the Pacers, the Pistons, and the Magic are not going to be uh, anywhere near the playoffs in the East. Now, over in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns are 52-13. and 13. Uh, They've won seven out of their last ten. And they uh, have become the fifth team in NBA history to have multiple non-overlapping spans of 19-1 and one or better in the same season. Uh, the only other team, or the most recent team to do that, rather, the 2017-2018 Houston Rockets. Okay, so Phoenix has just been on another level this year. They still are without uh, Chris Paul. is going to be out for a little while with that uh, hand injury. But that apparently hasn't slowed them down any because they are still uh, rolling along. The number two seed in the West. We have a new number two seed, and that is the Memphis Grizzlies at 45-22. and 22. Now, they're eight games back of Phoenix, but they're still uh, the number two seed currently, and that is thanks to Ja Morant. Uh, that kid has been an absolute uh, sensational player this year. Um, 
John Morant a couple weekends ago actually broke the Grizzlies franchise record for uh, points in a game with 46. And then in the very next game after that, he broke that record by putting up uh, 52, which was his career high, obviously the franchise's high, 52 points. And uh, he was became the fourth youngest player in NBA history with consecutive 45-point games. Uh, the kid is, in ho- is a highlight reel waiting to happen. Uh, slam dunks, shooting ability, um, speed, uh, the kid has got it all. Uh, Memphis has is, is really got them an absolute franchise player with John Morant, and he is worth the price of admission. Uh, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the NBA. The three seed in the West currently, the Golden State Warriors. Okay, They're 44-22. and 22. They're only a half game back of Memphis. Uh, they've only won three times in their last 10 games, though. Uh, Draymond Green should be coming back next week, I believe, or within this upcoming week. So uh, we'll see. But they're uh, they're obviously solidly in the playoffs. Fourth seed, the Utah Jazz at 40-24. and 24. Uh, Fifth seed, the Dallas Mavericks. My Dallas Mavericks, they're 40-25. and 25. They've been on an absolute roll here lately. They've won five in a row, eight out of their last ten. Actually beat Golden State in back-to-back games. Uh, about a week and a half ago, they played Golden State uh, two games in in one week, and they beat them both. The one that the game that was in Golden State, Mavericks were down by 19 points in the fourth quarter and ended up coming back to win. Uh, Luka Doncic just continues to show that he is a top probably three player in the league. Uh, he was the Western Conference Player of the Month uh, for the month of February. Uh, just. He's he's 30 points waiting to happen. Just he steps on the floor and gets 30 points without really even trying. And I the Mavericks are going to they're solidly in the playoffs and I think they're going to be a tough out. Uh the addition of Spencer Dinwiddie has been an absolute revelation for that Mavericks team. He's the perfect complement to Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson. Uh those three can be interchanged uh, throughout the lineup and uh Dinwiddie's had multiple games of over 25 points. I think he had a 34-point game the other night over the weekend. So uh, Dinwiddie's been perfect for the Mavericks, and um, I'm looking forward to watching them make this little playoff run here coming up here in about a month or so, month and a half. The sixth seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets. They're 39-26. and 26. Uh, They've also been hot lately. Three in a row they've won, nine out of their last ten, and uh, they're just a game behind Dallas. Uh, Nikola Jokic for the Nuggets. He's became he's been a a beast this year too. Been the first player since LeBron James in 2010 to record a 40 point triple double with four blocks, and he did that the other night. Uh, which a game that went into overtime, and Jokic actually had 30 of his 46 points between fourth quarter and and uh, overtime. So, uh, Jokic is certainly in the MVP conversation for the Nuggets there. Uh, the seventh seed in the West is the Minnesota Timberwolves at 37-29. and 29. They've been red hot, too. They've won five in a row, eight out of their last ten. Uh, I certainly think they'll be in the play-in tournament when it's all said and done. The eighth seed is the Los Angeles Clippers at 34-33. and 33. The ninth seed is the Los Angeles Lakers at 28-36. They're eight games under five hundred. Just absolutely putrid. They've only won twice out of their last 10. Um, you know, Anthony Davis is still out with his, you know, 
injury that seems to always happen. LeBron James, though, he had 56 points in a game this past weekend, making him the first player in NBA history to have a 50-point game before turning 21 years old and one turning after 35 years old, uh, after turning 35. So he's had a 50-point game before he was 21, 50-point game after he turned 35, first player in the league history to do that. So um, he's still showing that he's uh, capable of carrying a team. The problem is is he's not getting any help, and the Lakers are really in serious uh, danger of missing the play-in tournament. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are the 10th seed currently, 27-38, uh, and 38, game and a half back of the Lakers. And then the first team out of the play-in tournament currently is the Portland Trailblazers at 25-39. and 39. Now, they're a game and a half back of New Orleans and three and a half back or three games back of the Lakers. But, you know, they, they traded away C.J. McCollum. Um, <clears throat> they still have Damian Lillard, although they've lost five games in a row. So keep an eye on Portland. Uh, they, they always seem to kind of be a tricky team. And then the 12th seed currently, San Antonio Spurs, 25-40. and 40. Uh, Greg Popovich the other night tied Don Nelson's NBA record for the most wins in league history by a head coach with 1,335. So he's certainly going to become the winningest NBA head coach uh, in the next uh, week or so. Um, and then the final team that legitimately has a chance to make the playoffs in the West is the Sacramento Kings at 24-43. and 43. They're four games back of the Pelicans for that 10th spot. Uh, but, I, you know, they they got some a couple of good young players. and We'll see. I, I don't see Sacramento making that jump, but uh, they're still in. The Thunder and the Rockets do not have any chance whatsoever. So that's an NBA standings update for you. Lots of news there. Most teams have played between 64 to 66 games or so. So we got a little less than 20 games, about 18 to 20 games or so left for most of these teams. Um, so we'll we'll see. It's it's going to be competitive. The Eastern Conference is uh, not as competitive as the West. There's only three teams in the East right now that have 40 or more wins, uh, as opposed to five teams in the West that have 40 or more wins, uh, one of which has 52 wins. So uh, the West is going to be a little little more competitive uh, that might come down to the wire but um, either way we're, we're in for a good last uh, month month and a half of the NBA season but we'll move on to the NCAA and men's college basketball uh, we're currently in the midst of conference tournament week where we hand out conference titles and automatic bids into the tournament well, next week will be uh, well this upcoming weekend we'll have selection Sunday so Next week's episode, we'll actually have some March Madness basketball to talk about. Uh, but real quick, a few things to note before we get into the uh, conference championships that have been won. A couple weekends ago, uh, we saw something for the first time ever in men's college basketball history, and that was the uh, top six ranked teams, one through six, all lost on the same day. They were all on the road, and uh, five of the six lost to other tournament teams. The only one that didn't was uh, Arizona. They lost to Colorado, who was not going to be in the tournament. But uh, if you want to expand that out, Texas Tech was number nine at the time, and they also lost that same night. So 
seven out of the top nine teams all lost on the same day, which is the first time that that has ever happened in men's college basketball history. And it just goes to show you just how unpredictable this college basketball season has been and will continue to be as we move forward into the tournament. Uh, But a couple other noteworthy things that happened over this past weekend. Uh, Michigan State head basketball coach Tom Izzo uh, with his victory over Maryland this weekend. It was a 663rd career victory, which passed Bob Knight for the most overall wins by a Big Ten head coach. So he sits alone at the top there. Um, Speaking of historical coaches, Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, as he's called, he coached in his final home game this past weekend at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, The Blue Devils hosted the North Carolina Tar Heels, one of the best basketball rivalries uh, in the country. And the average ticket price for that game, according to Vivid Seats, was $5,307, which is more expensive than all but three of the Super Bowls since 2010. So out of the past 12 Super Bowls, um, that ticket was more expensive than nine of those uh, average ticket prices. So, uh, you know, Duke actually ended up blowing a lead and losing that game. Uh, So uh, just uh, kind of a crazy how that game turned out. But uh, Coach K gave a good little speech there. Uh, He's obviously going to go down as as the best college basketball coach of all time. Certainly one of the best coaches in American sports history. Now, he still has some season left with uh, the the ACC tournament and, uh, of course, the NCAA tournament coming up. I certainly think Duke has a legitimate chance to win the national title with the roster they have. So uh, we'll have to see how far uh, Coach K's final ride takes him. But uh, the final thing of note uh, is there was a game between Houston Baptist and McNeese State over the weekend. They played in four overtimes. The final score was 149 to 144, which was the highest scoring Division I men's basketball game in the last 31 years. So uh, pretty intense there. Um, but I mentioned that there have been several conference titles that have already been won and uh, automatic bids that have been handed out. So I'll just read through the ones that we know of right now. The Atlantic Sun Conference has been won by Jacksonville State. Now, this is interesting uh, because they played Bellarmine in their conference title game. Bellarmine is in a uh, in the middle of a, a four-year process of reclassifying reclassifying from Division II to Division I. So they're not technically eligible for the NCAA tournament. Well, Bellarmine actually beat Jacksonville State in that Atlantic Sun Championship game. But because Bellarmine is ineligible, Jacksonville State gets the uh, gets the conference title and the automatic bid for that conference. Okay, so interesting for Jacksonville State there. I mean, they're twenty one and ten overall in the season, so um, their record indicates that they probably are at least a tournament worthy team. The Big South Conference, the Longwood Lancers, at twenty six and six, they won the conference to secure their first ever NCAA tournament bid. Uh, this is an interesting team. Their head coach, Griff Aldrich, he uh, was an assistant coach on that UMBC team, that 16 seed that beat top seed Virginia back in the 2018 NCAA tournament. So their head coach has some some upset history. And um, 
Longwood is a school that nobody knows about. I'm not saying they're going to win their first game, but I certainly think that uh, they would be a good upset pick. The Colonial Conference was won by Delaware. Uh, the Blue Hens uh, secured their uh, ticket to the dance uh, by winning their conference. The Horizon League was won by Wright State. All right, so they're in Missouri Valley Conference, Loyola, Chicago. They finished the season 25-7. and seven. So uh, the Ramblers, of course, uh, past two trips in the NCAA tournament, they've gone to the Sweet 16 in the Final Four. Of course, Sister Jean, their good luck charm. So Loyola Chicago is back in the dance again this year. Uh, the Northeast Conference was won by Bryant. They uh, finished their season 22-9. and nine. Uh, now, I didn't know this until I saw the highlights from their championship game. Uh, Bryant University is home to the nation's leading scorer in Peter Kiss. He's a 6'5 guard. He's averaging almost 25 points a game, okay, which um, leads the nation, which, I, like I said, I didn't realize that that was the case. Uh, I knew there's some Big Ten players, you know, Keegan Murray, uh, just some, uh, you know, Jabari Smith from Auburn, you know, guys that I would have thought are leading the nation in scoring, but it is Peter Kiss from Bryant. So they have clinched their ticket. The Ohio Valley Conference was won by Murray State. The, the Racers haven't lost a game since December 22nd. Okay, they, uh, they're 30 and 2, and uh, they have a legit team. All right, so I, I, I'd watch out for Murray State in the, in the, tournament they're going to cause some problems southern conference has been won by chattanooga all right so they uh it's their first ncaa tournament since 2016 there the summit conference was won by south dakota state they finished the season 30 and 4 they have a 21 game winning streak currently um jack rabbits are shooting 45 percent from three which leads the nation by a lot so uh, they're a fun team to watch they're probably going to be somewhere between a 10 and a 12 seed in the tournament, and they are going to be very tricky for whoever gets them. Uh, I like South Dakota State quite a bit. Sunbelt Conference was won by Georgia State. It's their fourth tournament appearance since 2015, so they've kind of, kind of been there frequently as of late. Uh, West Coast Conference, who else? Gonzaga. They, uh, they're number one in the country overall. Um, they've been, been played in two of the last four uh, national championship games, including last year. Uh, they're going to probably be the number one overall seed for the entire tournament. Uh, this is their uh, ninth tournament win in the last uh, 10 years, 23rd West Coast Conference title overall. Just complete dominance there. And um, so that those are the... Conferences that have been won and automatic bids that have been clinched into the tournament. Uh, the Patriot League Championship is later this week. And then, of course, over the weekend, you have uh, your Power Five conferences, the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, or Pac-12, you know, and um, SEC will all play their conference championship games along with all of the other conferences as well. So by the time we get to Sunday evening, Selection Sunday, we'll have uh, the entire bracket filled out. We'll know who all the conference winners are. And uh, next week's episode will kind of break down some of the uh, 
we'll break down some of the bracket. Not going to read the whole bracket, obviously, but we'll talk about some uh, some of the seeds and how how I think it's going to turn out. But uh, I'm excited to see how conference championship weekend concludes this weekend. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, It's loaded for you with two main topics this week, the MLB and the NFL. An absolute ton of news to get into. We're going to start off in Major League Baseball, and how can we not, right? What an absolute mess this thing has become. We're uh, coming up on day 100 of the lockout. Commissioner Manfred and the Players Association have met multiple times. They met all of last week, uh, did not reach an agreement by the deadline, which they had even extended by a day. Um, Still no new collective bargaining agreement has been reached, and because they did not meet the uh, CBA on time, Commissioner Rob Manfred said that he has canceled the first two series of the regular season, So that basically eliminates roughly, what, six or seven games for each team. And he's already said that the players are not going to be compensated for those games lost, and they will not be made up. Now, they have another deadline this week that if they they do not meet this week, more regular season games will be canceled. Uh, This thing has just become an absolute circus. Um, This is the first time that Major League Baseball is losing regular season games over a labor dispute uh, in 27 years. So it's been a hot minute since we've seen this. A big point of contention, though, for both sides is uh, there's two main contentions. One of them is uh, the number of playoff teams, keeping it at uh, 12 versus the expanded that we saw this past year with 14. The player, believe it or not, the players' uh, association wants twelve playoff teams, and the owners want fourteen. Uh, you would think it would be the other way around. Um, you know, you'd think the players would want to have more teams in the playoffs to have a better chance of getting into the playoffs, uh, but they're advocating for twelve teams, and that's that seems to be a very big hangup uh, at the moment. Now, while they've been arguing and debating. Both sides have agreed uh, on a few things. Of course, I mentioned this several episodes ago. There is now officially a universal designated hitter rule in baseball. So pitchers will no longer be hitting. So that's good. And then starting in the 2023 season, so not this upcoming season, if there is one played, but next year, um, there are three things that they have agreed right now. The first one is that the shift is going to be banned. So the players on the field will no longer be able to shift. Um in the field to, to play basically a strategic form of defense against hitters that are, are usually pull hitters. So that's going to be outlawed. Uh, there's going to be a pitch clock implemented to limit the amount of time in between pitches, which I think is good. Uh, it'll help speed up the game. And then the final thing is that the bases are going to be larger. So those three things were agreed upon to start in the 2023 season. And I believe the universal designated hitter rule is going to start this season if, in fact, we have one. Um, but a few other, you know, who knows about what's going to happen. Um, I'd like to think that they're going to reach a deal here soon. Uh, there's only so much bickering back and forth you can do before you finally have a deal. Um, the owners can't make money if there's no games. Uh, you can't have player, or you can't have games without players. So you'd think to some extent you'd want to maybe cater to what the players need, uh, more so than what your needs are as an owner in the league because if you don't have players you don't have a league 
but that's just makes too much sense. A um, couple other MLB notes. Uh, there's been a little contract between Apple TV and Major League Baseball. So when we do have a season of baseball get going, Apple and MLB have announced that Apple TV Plus is going to carry a weekly doubleheader uh, on Friday night. So every Friday night, Apple TV is going to have two MLB games, uh, just a partnership there with, with Apple TV. It seems to be the way that everything is going now with streaming. And then some non-season-related um, news. Uh, the Miami Marlins, they have announced that Derek Jeter has stepped down as the Marlins' CEO. Uh, on top of that, Derek Jeter is also no longer a shareholder in the organization. All right, So he was part shareholder on top of being the CEO. Uh, he was the CEO for four and a half seasons, Derek Jeter was. And uh, the Marlins went 218 in 327 in those seasons. So uh, not very great. Now, Derek Jeter did issue a statement about his resignation. He said, quote, The vision for the future of the franchise is different than the one I signed up to lead. Now is the right time for me to step aside as a new season begins. Close quote. So interesting there from Jeter. Um, the Marlins have obviously... Um, perennially been a bottom feeder in that National League East division. Um, they did come close to making the playoffs in the shortened season a couple years ago. But, um, you know, they, they have some good young players, but uh, certainly not going to be super competitive anytime soon. Uh, so, yeah, just baseball's in a, in a world of hurt right now. As a baseball fan, I really hope they can get it figured out because I want to see some baseball on the field. Uh, but we'll move over real quick to the National Football League. And my goodness, what a week it's been in the NFL. Uh, all, pretty much from every angle. Uh, the franchise tag deadline has passed. That was this past week. Uh, some notable players to get the franchise tag. You have Tampa Bay Bucks wide receiver Chris Godwin, Cincinnati Bengals safety Jesse Bates. Dallas Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz, Kansas City Chiefs offensive tackle Orlando Brown, Miami Dolphins tight end Mike Gesicki, Cleveland Browns tight end David Njoku, and then Green Bay uh, has announced that they are expected to place the franchise tag on Devontae Adams, which I believe was finalized uh, yesterday. So Devontae Adams has been franchise tagged by the Packers. You'll notice a few tight ends in that group couple of wide receivers. And speaking of wide receivers, the Dallas Cowboys announced that they are planning on releasing wide receiver Amari Cooper before the March 16th uh, new roster deadline. And that's in order to say he's, he's supposed to make $20 million this year, Cooper is. But if the Cowboys cut him, they save $16 million against the cap, which is huge for what the Cowboys are trying to do. They're trying to improve their roster, but they don't have as much money um, as some other teams do. So they need as much cap space as possible. And so I think uh, releasing Cooper probably isn't the best in terms of what their roster looks like. They're certainly not a better team without Cooper, um, but uh, your goal is to save money. And um, Cooper's numbers didn't really indicate that he was worth the $20 million that he was getting. So that brings us to uh, some other major news that, that came down this week. The Aaron Rodgers saga. Okay, this thing has officially come to an end 
thank God. Uh, Rodgers announced that he is returning to the Green Bay Packers this year. Uh, reports came out that he signed a four-year, $200 million contract, which would include $153 million guaranteed. That would make him the highest-paid NFL player uh, in NFL history, average annual value of $50 million. Uh, but after that news was leaked, Rodgers uh, came out and tweeted and said, that he is returning to the Packers, but that he has not signed the contract that was reported. So we'll see on that. Either way, the point is is that Aaron Rodgers is staying in Green Bay. Uh, did we really think he was going anywhere? Uh, it sounded like it may have been legit for a minute, but um, he's staying in Green Bay. Now, one of the places he was rumored to go was the Denver Broncos, and they made a tremendous splash of their own by acquiring Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks in an absolutely massive trade uh, this past week. So Seattle traded Russell Wilson um, and a fourth-round pick to Denver, okay, in exchange for two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, Drew Locke, quarterback, Noah Fant, tight end, defensive lineman, Shelby Harris. So not only does Seattle um, get five draft picks, two firsts, two seconds, and a fifth, they get three three players that should plug in and start. Now, I don't know about the quarterback situation. Drew Locke certainly uh, might be an upgrade over Geno Smith at this point in his career. But they acquire the, the Broncos' first-round pick this year, which is at pick number nine, I believe. So uh, there might be a quarterback taken there. Uh, so we'll see on that. But that's just a huge trade. Um, that's, you know, think about the AFC West at this point with Russell Wilson in Denver. You have Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, and Derek Carr to go with Russell Wilson. That division is loaded at quarterback and just makes the AFC even more stacked. You know, um, you, you talk about – you know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, also being in the AFC, Joe Burrow as well. So um, the AFC is completely loaded at the quarterback position, and it just makes that AFC even more cloudy than it was before. So huge trade there for the Broncos. Seahawks are obviously in a rebuild, and uh, we'll see what they do with those uh, two first and two second round picks over the next couple years. Uh, a couple of free agents that have re-signed with their former team. Tennessee Titans out, outside linebacker Harold Landry, former first-round pick, agreed to a five-year $87.5 million deal. That's a $17.5 per year. That includes $52.5 million guaranteed. And he had, uh, Landry had career-high 12 sacks this past season. So uh, he is a premier linebacker, and he is definitely getting paid as such. And then over in Los Angeles, the Chargers wide receiver Mike Williams has agreed to a three-year, $60 million deal with $40 million guaranteed to stay with the Chargers, so $20 million per year there. So that's been the flurry of free agency and trades that have gone down, and we'll certainly have more on that as we uh, get to the new official new league year next week when the calendar turns on that. Um, but the NFL draft is quickly approaching. That is next month, the end of April. And the NFL Combine, Scouting Combine, was this past weekend at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, we had 
lots of excitement there. Uh, Georgia was the most represented school at the combine with 14 players. Then Alabama and Oklahoma were tied for second with 11 players there each. A um, couple of high-profile prospects that were invited that did not participate in the on-field workouts were LSU corner Derek Stingley Jr. and Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral. Uh, both of them went t- to take part in the interviews, but neither of them worked out. If you recall, both had some injuries uh, last season that kept them out for a little while. Of course, Matt Corral's happened at the end of the year, but Stingley missed most of the year with his injuries, so they wanted to buy some more time. They do plan on working out at their pro days. But from the combine, combine there were lots of um, very impressive workouts that happened, uh, most notably with the 40-yard dash. Two of the fastest 40 times were ever that have ever been recorded happened this past weekend, and that was Baylor cornerback Kalen Barnes. He ran a 4-2-3, which was second fastest of all time. And uh, UTSA corner Tariq Woolen, he ran a 4-2-6-40, which is the fourth fastest of all time. Now, he's a 6-foot-4 cornerback running a 4-2-6. That is scary. Um, and then Georgia defensive tackle Jordan Davis. Okay, the dude is 6'6", 341 pounds, and he ran a 40-yard dash in 4-7-8. Just absolutely insane certainly solidified himself as a first-round pick. Uh, There were a lot of other players that had good workouts. You know, and it makes you wonder, with these guys running so fast, you know, how much emphasis they all spend pretty much from the time their last bowl game is, if they play in it, to the time the combine and the pro day. That's all they do is practice working out, running 40-yard dashes, and there's so much of an emphasis now on speed and what a 40-yard dash can do to improve your draft stock. It just makes you wonder kind of what we've become. Are we putting too much emphasis on a workout, uh, or do we sit down and really watch tape to see if if that workout translates to the field? And so uh, that's obviously what the scouts do uh, at the combine and the pro days, but it just seems to me there's so much emphasis on that 40-yard dash that um, it's it's kind of becoming – you know, kind of a focal point of the combine. But um, some other news out of the NFL, um, the NFL and the NFL Players Association uh, announced that they have agreed to suspend all COVID protocols for this upcoming season, which uh, that was effective immediately. So in the NFL, there are no longer any COVID protocols, which is fantastic. I think we need to start seeing that in the NHL and the NBA. Little, little more difficult there because there are some Canadian teams there in both of those leagues, so that might, um, uh, you know, make it a little more challenging for that to happen. But the fact the NFL is the first pro sport to eliminate COVID protocols shows you where we're at in moving past this pandemic. There were a couple of coaching hires. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they've hired former Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy as their senior offensive assistant slash quarterbacks coach. Um, this one's a head scratcher for me, uh, really, because Matt Nagy, he was the coach of the Bears when they drafted Mitchell Trubisky, and uh, all Trubisky did was um, kind of uh, flop. He was not a good NFL quarterback, especially for number two overall, uh, was a bust, didn't really develop under head coach Matt Nagy. So uh, you bring Nagy in to be the quarterback coach for Patrick Mahomes. 
Uh, now, mind you, Nagy, think about what he did with Justin Fields last year. He certainly didn't help Fields get off to the NFL start that he was looking for. So um, I just wonder, not that Nagy's going to screw up Patrick Mahomes, because Mahomes is himself and he's the best quarterback in the league for a reason, but um, I certainly don't think Matt Nagy's going to be beneficial to Patrick Mahomes. So that was very interesting to see. Uh, now, the San Francisco 49ers, they have hired uh, ESPN Monday Night Football analyst Brian Greasy to be their quarterback coach. So Greasy leaves the booth to head down to the field to coach the quarterbacks for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Brian Greasy and Kyle Shanahan are both good friends. Greasy was actually a quarterback on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers whenever Kyle Shanahan was an assistant coach for them several years back uh, before he got big time. Um, so this is interesting. You know, Greasy was he spent some time in the broadcast booth the last couple of years and did a great job. And so now he's going to have the opportunity to coach Trey Lance uh, in San Francisco. Uh, we did have a surprising retirement uh, about a week and a half ago. Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, guard offensive lineman Ali Marpet uh, retired after just seven seasons in the NFL. He's only 28 years old, made the Pro Bowl. And he's one of the best guards in the league. This was uh, unsuspected. Um, it leaves a big hole in that Tampa Bay offensive line that they're going to have to address. Now, they don't have Tom Brady to keep upright, but um, quarterback's certainly a bigger need at this point. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they have a massive hole in that offensive line. Uh, the NFL did uh, announce the home teams for all the international games this upcoming year. Remember, there's... Uh, I think we talked five um, five international games this year, which is the most there's ever been in a season. The, the game that's in Munich, Germany, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be the home team. The game that's in Mexico City, the Arizona Cardinals will be the home team. And then for the three games in London this upcoming season, the Green Bay Packers, the New Orleans Saints, and of course, the Jacksonville Jaguars will be the three home teams for those three London games. Jacksonville has played in London seemingly every year. Um, they're probably uh, nicknamed the London Jaguars with how much they, they play there. And then the NFL also announced the annual Hall of Fame game matchup, which takes place every August uh, during uh, training camps. And uh, this year, um, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars will head to Canton, Ohio. The NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame game that will take place there, like I said, in late August. So the Raiders and the Jaguars will be in that Hall of Fame game. Um, and then we'll close out the NFL news, some very strange news. Uh, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley, uh, he has been suspended for the entire 2022 season for betting on games. The uh, NFL said that Ridley bet on uh, a couple games that took place in November this past season. Now, mind you, Ridley had already stepped away from the team. He was on the non-injury list for the Falcons as he was dealing with some mental health issues. So he was not an active member of the Falcons when he was betting on games. Um, but uh, the NFL said that the games were not compromised in any way. Um, but that Ridley came out and said he he only bet $1,500 worth of bets in those games, and he is getting suspended for next season, forfeiting an $11 million salary next year. So he basically gambled 1500 and lost $11 million by being suspended. 
getting caught. So uh, not a wise financial decision there for Calvin Ridley. He is um, certainly one of the better younger uh, third, fourth year wide receivers in the league. And so that's a big blow to Atlanta, leaving them with a big hole at wide receiver. Um, Just highly questionable decision there by Ridley. But uh, nonetheless, he is not going to be playing next year. And then we'll close up around the island. Just a couple other news updates. We've got one in the NHL. Uh, Seattle Kraken forward Jared McCann. He has signed a five-year contract extension with the Kraken. That's valued at $25 million. It's a $5 million per year average. He um, is the first player in franchise history to receive a contract extension. So interesting there for Seattle. He leads the team with 21 goals uh, so far this year. So it's, he's a good, uh, good piece to build around, uh, that young Kraken team that's fun to watch. Um, and then over in the college football world, I mentioned, I believe it was last episode, Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels had entered the transfer portal. Uh, well, this past week he announced that he is officially transferring to LSU. All right, big time school there. Uh, that's a, just a massive get for Brian Kelly, the new head coach there, and the LSU Tigers. Uh, Daniels threw for 32 touchdowns last year. He's also very elusive running the football, and I think he's going to open up that LSU offense. And um, that's a very good, very good ad for Brian Kelly, uh, and especially in his uh, first year there. And so uh, keep an eye on. Jaden Daniels, because if he plays his cards right there in LSU, he may just find himself in that Heisman Trophy uh, con- uh, contest, so to speak. But uh, that's going to wrap up the 66th episode of Sports Island. Uh, lots of entertainment coming up this weekend for you. Uh, PGA Tour, like we talked about, is uh, at the Players' Championship there. High high skill, high drama, so be be sure and tune into that. And then, of course, college basketball. How can you not? You got the uh, conference tournaments this weekend. So uh, and Selection Sunday, we'll know who the, who's in the brackets, so we'll be able to start filling out brackets starting on Sunday night. So be sure and tune in to just a massive loaded weekend of sports, and uh, we'll be back next week to catch up on how all of that drama unfolded. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.